You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 407. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash 407. You're listening to The Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? Without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, Amy E. Smith. Hey, hey, pod people. Amy here, and I am so excited because... I am starting a two-part episode all about making noise and taking up space, and there is no better person for me to dial up besides my very best friend, speaker, life coach, author, Hellraiser, Andrea Owen, and I'm really, really hoping that I can catch her. You know how it goes on these dial-in expert episodes. It's like, I hope I'm going to get them on the phone. (laughs) I'm sure you're on to me. Anyway, let me tell you a little bit about Andrea. Besides being my very best friend, she's also creating a massive global impact in women's empowerment. She is on her third book. The third book is out any day now, actually, end of August. And it's called Make Some Noise. But between her other two books, they have been translated into 18 languages available in 22 countries. And she, what she does kind of in her corner of the world is help high-achieving women maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. If you know anything about her story, she has gone through it and has really come out the other side being such an incredible shining example of what's possible when you genuinely work on your shit. So no surprise why I absolutely adore her. So I'm going to give her a ring here in a second. Hopefully I'm able to catch her. Next week, I'm going to be sounding off on 17 different things that you can do to start taking up more space. That's what we need in this world. More than anything else is women owning their power, taking up space, making noise, and genuinely believing in themselves. I think that it's probably one of the fiercest acts of rebellion and of the resistance that we can have is to genuinely love ourselves in the middle of a society that tells us that we're not good enough, that we're not pretty enough, smart enough, accomplished enough, we're too loud, we're too much, we're too sensitive. So hopefully we can dig into that a little bit with Andrea if I'm able to catch her. But what I wanted to say about this whole enoughness piece, this is truly the work that I do in the world. And I have found that a lot of the concepts that I talk about around establishing boundaries or speaking up for yourself or knowing how to say no, having tough conversations, a lot of that is rooted in you genuinely believing that what you want matters and has relevance and is viable to begin with. And a lot of that stems from your sense of self-worth. Do I believe that I am deserving of having my needs met or of taking up space in this relationship, in this organization, in this family, whatever it might be? And if you struggle with that, if you find yourself turning to behaviors like constantly trying to be flawless and perfect or people-pleasing, trying to make sure that everybody else 
agrees with you or approves of you so much so that you're highly invested in everyone else's opinion over your own. Or if you're racked with self-doubt, constantly getting in your own way, not going after things because of that fear, then there's a very strong chance that you need to unpack your relationship with self. It's not in the job. It's not in the relationship. It's not in all of these external things that we're taught to chase. If I have this flawless body, if I have this perfect career, then I will magically believe in my own value. Spoiler alert, y'all, that's not how it works. But the good news is this is exactly the work that I do and have been doing for well over 12 years now and have helped women just like you go from that place where they are letting everybody walk all over them or being riddled with self-doubt, constantly dealing with people-pleasing perfectionism and not believing in themselves to a place where they genuinely in every fiber of their being believe that they are worthy of the things that they desire and believe in your own enoughness. So if that is you and you cannot keep going down this same path, I really encourage you to check out a free workshop that I have for you. It's a masterclass. Go to thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. And this masterclass will chronicle five different things that you need to do in order to unlock this tight grip on perfectionism and feeling just straight up not enough. At the very end of the workshop, which highlights a lot of the work that I do, specifically in a program that I curated many years ago and continue to improve on, it's called Deep Down and Dirty. And it's an intensive that really helps you change all of these things. If you watch the workshop and you're like, oh my God, I need more. This is absolutely me. You will see an opportunity to book a call with a member of my team and we can discuss if Deep Down and Dirty is the right solution for you. And I think that it just might be. So have a watch through that workshop. Again, you can find that in the show notes or at thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. But for right now, let's dive in and see if we can't unravel some of this stuff around taking up space and making some noise. I'm going to see if I can grab Andrea. Let me dial her up. Hello. Hey, Andrea, it's Amy. Hey. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? Uh, I just got out of the shower. My hair is wet up in a towel. And yeah, you caught me at an okay time. Okay, because I okay, I'm over here with the audience and we've been talking about taking up space, making noise. And of course, I wanted to give you a ring because you are literally writing the book on it. You've written the book on it. So do you have, I don't know, maybe 30, 45 minutes? Yes. Can you I'm wait? Good. Or do you I'll just, I'll just sit here in a, in a towel. You want to throw a robe on or something? No, I'm good. I'm good. I, I want to just, okay. you know, take, I'm just going to take up space with my body. <laughs> okay. You're like, no, I'd rather promote my book. <laughs> So uh, I'm so, so pumped to have you on the show, of course, and I'm thrilled that you're bringing this new book into the world. Uh, and the first two chapters are all about taking up space and what you call shining too bright. And I know that just from our own relationship, you've talked about that being an issue kind of throughout the entirety of your life. So talk to talk to us a little bit about 
what does that mean? What does that look like? How might people relate to that? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. The taking up space is one of those topics and expressions really that's being thrown around a lot in our, in our field. And when I sat down to write the book, I was like, what does that actually mean? And trying to explain sort of this broad term. And so when I talk about it, I'm talking about first and foremost, taking up space with our voices, which I know you talk about a lot on your show. So that's asking for what you want. It is making a request. It's setting boundaries. It's stating your opinions, that type of thing. And you can also take up space with your body. So that is things like, you know, choosing to have the armrest on an airplane if somebody else is hogging it, asking someone to stop manspreading, you know, these types of things, but also body acceptance. It's accepting all bodies, regardless of their size or ability, as well as accepting our own. So in terms of taking up space, that's kind of a broad overview. And also I like to throw in there, we can also take up space with our power and our confidence which sort of encompasses both voice and body. And then when we're talking about shining too bright, there was a very real reason that I titled it shining too bright, because in my experience over the last decade plus doing this work specifically with women, I have found that we have two main fears when it comes to visibility, which is kind of a buzzword in in our industry, you know, putting yourself out there, making your, yourself known or your services known or your opinions known. So first we have the fear of just shining in general. And that is, you know, starting a business. It is putting our opinions out there. Just, just generally speaking, making your voice, your body, yourself known. And then the other fear is around outshining others. Uh, I know that you've read the book, the big leap by Gay Hendricks. And he, and he talks about this as being one of the main fears. And, and in that book, and uh, that section, I should say, of shining too bright and outshining others, as he calls it, he gives examples that are, that are fine, but he's sort of talking to you know, a mixed audience of both men and women. And he's kind of creating this like straw person of an example when it comes to outshining others. But I think for women, we have like a specific fear around this because we've been conditioned and socialized to put everyone else before us, to be accommodating, to make others comfort more important than our own. And what I have found, I did a podcast episode a couple of years ago where I talked specifically about this and I got so much feedback that this is a fear that women have. So in the book, Gay Hendricks uses this quote. So we think to ourselves, if I grow into my full accomplishments, my full success, my full potential, and I'm successful, then I will outshine fill in the blank and make them feel bad or look bad. And for many people that might be a sibling that they have, it might be a partner. I know I had massive fears when I started to out earn my husband which I can, I can talk about that story. Um, and sometimes it's our parents, you know, like yes. maybe we make more money than our parents ever did or are more successful and, and we can feel uncomfortable with those facts. And then that makes us, we make decisions from that place, you know, well, I don't have to write another book. Well, I'll probably just stay at this nine to five job that I hate rather than start my own business, or I don't want to talk about all my successes at Thanksgiving because I'm going to make my sister feel bad. So these things sometimes are conscious, sometimes they're unconscious, but they definitely can impact how we behave in the world. It's interesting that you 
are talking about even this, the word of too bright. Right. And even obviously right now we're talking about success and accomplishment and paving your own way in the world and how we need to actually own that. I completely understand. And I've seen people diminish that in inability to celebrate accomplishments Mm -hmm. like you were talking about, or where whenever it's brought up, they try to change the subject or they're self-deprecating or things like that. But I also think we say not just too bright to women, but too loud, too sensitive, Mm -hmm. too emotional, too this, too that. And it's a way to be completely dismissive of women's experiences in the world. And what it also does is it amplifies this idea of male or masculinity being the norm. So if it's any sort of characteristic that deviates from that, if it's more emotional than a typical man, or if it's more successful than a typical man, then we have to say you're wrong in some way. So we've got to label it as too much, too bright, too sensitive, too emotional. And I think that's a key in for a lot of us to start realizing that not accepting those descriptors or those monikers placed on us is a part of the fucking revolution is the part of us going no 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 this is normal brightness for this bitch Uh Uh (laughs) this is normal sensitivity for this bitch maybe you aren't evolved enough for to stand in my brightness right and I don't think we need to get egotistical but I do think we need to really own that power yeah it's super interesting that I find that Many times as women, we have this sort of standard for what is egotistical, what is opportunistic, you know, and those are different standards than they would be for men. So when we do try to lean into our self-confidence, when we do try to go after our goals, if we have spent decades thinking that women who do that are greedy, opportunistic, whatever. And many times these are unconscious beliefs that we have. That's what a lot of the book is, is like, let's dig out and sort of excavate these, these beliefs that are underneath it all. We kind of freak out and we get incredibly uncomfortable. At the very least, we get incredibly uncomfortable and question ourselves, questions our, question our ability, question our competence question if we're worthy to do it. And men tend to not have those problems. I'm generally speaking here, of course, there are nuances and exceptions, but there, there are some real gender differences. And speaking of gender differences, one thing I want to mention. So when I was doing research for this book, I came across a study from the Pew Research Center and they asked Americans, what traits do you value um, in men versus women? Um, What traits does society value and what do they not value? And they, oh my God, these results like just infuriated oh. me to, to bottom line it, the word powerful was viewed 67% positive for men and 92% negative for women. Wow. Similar, similar outcomes for were the word ambitious and the word leadership for men versus women. This study was done in 2016. It wasn't done Jeez. in 1950. It was done in 2016 and they released it in 2018. This tells me that we've come a long way, but we really haven't come all that far. 
<laughs> right. We have a long way to go. And that's really what this book sort of examines is not so much like I want women, I ask over 250 questions in this book and I, I want women to really examine the reasons and their conditioning and their socialization versus what is their actual truth. And that therein lies the rub, right? Because it's not like, and this is the whole issue with internalized misogyny is mm-hmm. it's not like we get to pluck ourselves out of a patriarchal misogynistic culture, right? Right. Like we still have we to operate in, it. in inside of that, mm-hmm. right? So I love that you're posing these questions because I truly think that awareness is the win. Awareness is the key. If we can start going, oh, what if this didn't have to be the norm? Mm-hmm. What did, What if I could stand in my power and my leadership and my ambition and not apologize for it? What would that look like? So I understand that at the end of each chapter, you walk the readers through what you call quote, the unlearning, and that there are four steps to those. So can you talk a little bit about what are those four steps and why did you put each of them in, in each chapter? Yeah, well, I was about, I don't know, maybe halfway done writing the manuscript and realizing that I was posing the same questions in each chapter. And I'm like, okay, I need to just make this across the board, something that people can, can look at with each topic. And so that wasn't a fart. That was my, that was my armrest moving. <laughs> liar, liar. There it is. I don't know if you can hear it. Um, well, and, and I also love a good process. I mean, who doesn't, and right. it's kind of like the, you know, too long. Didn't read if at the end of each chapter, if people just want to skip to that, that's fine. I'm not mad at you, but it's, it's four steps. Like you said, and the first one is to notice, I mean, you can't, <laughs> you have to name it to tame it. You can't fix what you can't see. So it is all about noticing. And, and this is very much, you know, what we learned in coach training. That's right. like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually teaching people how to coach themselves. Like that's a major outcome that I want for the reader. So the first one is to notice. The second part is to get curious because many times when we start to notice, we start judging it and we, you know, beat ourselves up over it. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Look at the way that I view myself. Look at the way I view other women. I have all this internalized misogyny. There's no hope for me. So just get curious, just ask questions. That's all you're just, again, just, you're like Ross, the anthropologist from friends, like <laughs> just pulling up the bones. That's all. And then the third step is self-compassion because you cannot get to a place of betterment by beating yourself up and hating yourself for your behaviors and thought patterns. You can't, you have to have so much self-compassion. And I know that for women, this can be a major hurdle. So that's the third step. And the fourth one is what I call keep the momentum. And that is largely about having conversations with people. I hope that the listener has at least one person in their life, maybe it's a therapist or a life coach or or one friend or coworker that they can talk about this stuff with, you know, maybe you go out for happy hour or brunch with your friends and say like, I'm, I'm reading this book or listening to this podcast. And they were talking about how we can be afraid to like outshine our siblings or our parents or, you know, other women at work. Do you guys ever struggle with that? And it's just having these open conversations so you can learn more about each other's experiences and that's how you move past things. I mean, you and I know that from years of being friends and talking about our issues and working through them. Completely. 
And I love that you're talking about curiosity as step two. And uh-huh. that that quite literally is a skill. This skill of curiosity is something that we learn in coach training. Right. And I have found that curiosity can absolutely be the antidote to judgment. So there, there was this time I was with a friend of mine. I was probably in high school. There was some, some gentleman who was walking across the street who was in nineties fashion, wearing a very interesting, colorful outfit. And I remember my friend's mom said, wow, that's an interesting approach to pants. (laughs) And so she was standing in this place of curiosity instead of judgment, because she was, you know, this ultra conservative person. And he was obviously current with trend wearing Mm -hmm. all the funky nineties outfits, Jenko jeans. (laughs) Exactly. And platform shoes or what have you. And instead of sizing it up and judging him, she said, something that was rooted in a place of curiosity. Oh, that is an interesting approach to pants. Instead of voting on it's right, it's wrong, it's bad, it's good. And I think that happens a lot for us when we start to untangle things in the personal development sphere is we start realizing, oh my gosh, no wonder I've been tolerating this sort of behavior from the people that I date. That is very much directly related to my grandfather or to mm-hmm. my dad or holy shit, I've got this re- this relationship with men that is disordered in some way or and then we go, oh my God, it's my fault. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Instead of going to that curiosity place and going, oh, let's look at this. Let's really look at where did this come from? What was I taught? What were the, who were the key players? What were the stories that I made up? And you can't do that if you're standing in a place of judgment versus curiosity. So that's that's fantastic. I think that's hugely, hugely helpful. It's sort of the antithesis of judgment. Mm-hmm. So there's there's also a chapter in the book called Stop Ignoring the Brainwashing That Is Making You Small. So I need to get curious about that. What <laughs> Tell us what that's about. So that chapter, and I can say this on your podcast because I know that your listeners are in alignment with, with your views. So that chapter was going to be the opening chapter. And my editor and I decided to not make it the opening chapter because it's, it's, um, it's a little more intense than the rest of them. So it's the first chapter in the second half of the book. The book is broken up into two sections and it is all about I go into more depth about the conditioning and socialization that we have all received to some extent as women who grew up in, you know, in this culture, you and I are in the States, but it's not just limited to, to here in the U S and I also talk about internalized misogyny, which is something that I haven't even really looked at for that long. It has been a couple of years now, but more in depth when I started writing this book, because I had to, that's sort of a hazard of writing self-help books, by the way, like you do, you do this research and then you're like, damn it. Shit. <laughs> I've now got I have some to work be a to do. <laughs> now I have to be a better human. I have to do better. So it's, it's about that. And I opened that chapter with a story about how, um, my high school best friend, I was over at her house at my friend Shelby and her, her stepdad said, Hey, I saw you walking the other day and I honked at you and you flipped me off. And I was totally embarrassed. 
and felt bad. And I, I re at that moment, I realized I couldn't explain to him that the reason that I do that, it had become a reflex. And I was 15, by the way, I had, it had become a reflex to flip off men who were honking and waving at me because of the endless street harassment that had started around the age of 13. How could I explain that to him without feeling ashamed and feeling like there was something that I did something wrong? And I, at the time, did not understand where this anger was coming from. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't articulate it in a way that wasn't just based in anger. I didn't know what was really happening socially and culturally. And so that led me to just being really angry growing up and then finally realizing a couple decades, well, about 15 years later, what it actually was. And when I'm talking about brainwashing, I'm talking about the conditioning that told us to take that as a compliment, mm. the socialization that told us that we, like, it is our job that our value and worth lies mostly in our body and appearance. That is how we yes. are viewed most valuable when we have these, you know, these idealized beauty standards. And it was a, it's a bit of a long chapter. <laughs> sure. It's the longest one. And it's definitely the most impassioned in my opinion. And, um, but yeah, that's sort of the gist of, of that whole chapter. I find that fascinating because it's sort of the ultimate gaslighting that we right. see as women, even with women being pitted against one another. Mm -hmm. That's internalized misogyny. Absolutely. So I've had conversations with my husband about it that absolutely infuriate me because he will say, yeah, but a lot of times it's not men asking that of women, it's women against women. I'm like, why do you fucking think that is? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's so maddening. And I also think there's a deeper level. I know you and I have talked about the correlation between misogyny and just religion mm -hmm. and the pervasiveness of religion in our society. We can definitely go in a whole other direction there. But I think recognizing that we're all going to have those little internalized misogynistic moments. Sure. I even, still do. Even, even on very small ways where we say, it, like if we're talking to a child, like, oh, you don't want to throw like a girl, right? Something mm -hmm. like that is where it's like, well, why the fuck not? Yeah. Right. The stereotypes. Or, yeah. Even the language that we can use around like, oh, don't be a pussy or, mm -hmm oh, he's got such balls. It's like, mm, you know, Betty White, like if we compare those right. two, which, which one is going to get demolished? Yeah. <laughs> right. For people who aren't, who might just be hearing that term and aren't sure what it actually looks like, how that manifests is yes. What you were saying, you know, with stereotypes and gender roles and things like that. But I think the, the, and I don't, I don't mean to put more weight on them, but I do think that the ones that are, can be more harmful is things like chronic dieting, slut shaming, competitiveness yep. that goes beyond healthy competition and women pitting themselves against each other in the workplace, especially when that competition is for the proximity to male superiors. And that can also happen in a family that happens. And I think one of the things that was both 
it was bittersweet to, to understand is what you were saying before is when women, you know, we hear all the time, especially in our field, like women need to lift each other up, like women supporting women. And, and like, I want to say for the record, I don't think that we should support all women. I don't, I think some women behave very poorly, but this whole thing where we're pointing the finger at women and saying like, you should lift each other up more. And and it's like, okay, like you're saying it's gaslighting. The reason that we don't, and I have been awful to other women before in, in my life. I, and I'm not proud of it. And it all comes from internalized misogyny, all of it. So I have had to reckon with how I have thought of other women, how I have treated other women and, um, really come to terms with what that stems from. And it's, it's, it's sickening. Like, and I'm not being dramatic here. Like it makes my stomach hurt to think of some of the things that I've done. I've had to, I've had to have a lot of self-compassion around it, but I think it's so important for us to talk about because I just don't think it's, I think it's still kind of a conversation that's in its infancy. Completely. You know, it reminds me a lot of, you know, you and I both had the great fortune to, take the social justice course from Dr. T. Williams Uh that I've mentioned a handful of times on the show. And something that really stuck with me when he talks about, about systems of oppression. And obviously you and I can really only speak to that as women, right? right? As far as marginalized identities. And as white women. Right. As white women, which is a huge, huge distinction. And one of the huge pieces that I I learned from that was that the way that systems of oppression, whether we're talking about body size, whether we're talking about having a disability or being a part of the queer community or ethnic background, that the way that the oppressed party stays oppressed is by believing that they are not enough and that they're not valuable because that's the message from the oppressor. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, if the oppressor can have the oppressed communities battling one another, (laughs) they are far less likely to overthrow the oppressor. So if we're looking at that from what we're talking about as far as male, female relationships and dynamics and gender roles, If we are pitted against one another, if we are, let's say, in an organization where we are fighting and causing so much disruption between our own relationship, trying to claw our way to the top, the less powerful we are in actually getting to the top or creating new, breaking the glass ceiling or creating Mm -hmm. new opportunities for women. We have so much more power together. But I think to your point, It's a yes. And it's like, yes, I can recognize the responsibility of the cultural influence. And I still have to reckon with some poor behavior I have had towards other women. Mm -hmm. It's both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to tag onto that is we also still live in a culture that hasn't made that much movement in terms of how men and women are viewed differently. So for instance, if you, if you look at women in appearance as we age. I was, I actually Mm. commented on a TikTok recently about a woman who, and she has a lot of followers and, and she was talking about Sarah Jessica Parker was, was photographed having lunch or something. She didn't have any makeup on and her hair is getting gray. and, And the woman was saying like, Sarah Jessica Parker is doing this the right way. And I was like, 
really? Is there a right way and a wrong way? Is that what we're doing now? Like, I don't, I think that this Mm -mm. is such an incredibly complicated topic. And that's what I commented. I said, this is an incredibly commented, um, complicated topic. And I don't think that there's a right or wrong way. Like you say, I think that, and like (laughs) research shows that women who are, are kind of get so fired up about this, our salaries plateau at age. I think it's 45 or 39 or something. I'd have to look at the research. It's in my book. I I think it's in that chapter too, where I talk about this research that women's salaries plateau as we age and men's continue to soar. And they also did research about women who were like moderately attractive. If they, if they were or were not well-groomed that they made more money. And it's like, there's also the halo effect that we trust people more that are attractive. And like, as a woman who's now 46 years old, and I have noticed that things are changing, not just in, you know, the way that I'm aging, but how much attention that I get because of age that it's fucking complicated. So, so there are feminists that are going to shit on me for getting fillers to look more attractive to people so I can get paid. Like it's, it's so complicated. And I think that we have to give, and this is what I say all the time. Like we have to give people the dignity of their own process. It's a yes. And, and I, I do agree with some radical feminists that say, if we all stopped, if we all stopped getting plastic surgery for weight loss, vaginal rejuvenation, fillers, Botox, all of it, and stop spending so much money on beauty products and beauty enhancements, we would turn everything on its head. And again, that's a radical feminist, um, notion, but I just am like, I refuse to be called a bad feminist because I got Botox once, which by the way, I didn't like it anyway. Like (laughs) I probably won't get it again. I did it. It wore off way too fast. It wasn't worth it, but I don't, I don't shit on women who do because I get it. We're fucked either way. We're fucked either way. You're right. It's completely complicated and complex. And I actually am really inspired by some of the movements that I'm seeing with the younger generations, like mm-hmm. the C gens and like being like, nope, we're just not going to shave anymore. Goodbye. Right. And, <laughs> but there's still massive amounts of hate and, uh, you know, oh, so much but that would mm-hmm. have never happened when we were coming up. People would right? have been so, crucified like way uh, worse than yeah. they are now. So I'm, I'm glad that it's moving, but it's moving at a snail's pace. And yeah, we get put in a very complicated situation. If you think about even how we refer to men as they age, they're the silver fox, they're the bachelor, you know, if they're single, right. But women, if they're single, they're an old maid, they're an Mm -hmm. old hag, they're a spinster. Like it's these really degrading ways that we speak about, about the various genders. It's really quite shitty. So let's talk about Mm -hmm. something a little bit more uplifting. Let's talk about the solution. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. How do we fix this? So you say that one of the steps that we can start taking is for women to ask what, for what they want, period. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I think that we just, 
don't ask. There was also some interesting research done. And I had this woman on my podcast, Sarah Lashiver, um, wrote a book. She co-authored a book called women don't ask. And they did some research. I believe it was in the early two thousands about how women tend to not negotiate their salary um, in their very first salary job, typically, you know, out of, out of college or, you know, in that age, like early twenties. And it made me think like when I was first offered a job and it was a salaried position, I didn't even know that you could do that. I just was like, cool, I have a job. Thank you. I'll take it. And then, you know, very few, a few months in realized I was doing like three people's job and then never even realized I could negotiate my job description to possibly get more money. And so, and she talks about things like the research says that, and the reason that I'm kind of giving people this much backstory is because I want women to know it's not your fault. It's not your fault that you feel like, um, everybody else has their shit together except me. Why can't I get a a enough self-confidence to go in and ask for a raise? Like there are real reasons that we don't. And that's why I put so much emphasis on, on, you know, looking at research and things like that. So when, when children are small and obviously, you know, we know (laughs) we, we gender, we put gender roles onto even very small children, little boys are encouraged to rough house and also like razzing each other and teasing each other, um, on a mild level is, is normal and encouraged and not so much in girls. So that type of behavior, the rough housing, the razzing teaches them resilience and Mm -hmm. self-confidence. So this is one of the many reasons that we don't end up growing up to ask for what we want, or even know that we can ask for what we want. But, and it's also interesting because the word opportunistic, like kept coming up when I was writing that chapter. And I think that we view genders differently. Like what's considered opportunistic for a woman might not be opportunistic for a man. So it's just, I do think that like women's empowerment starts with asking for what you want because we tend to not. And many times we don't ask in the bedroom with our, with our male partners. And I'm, I'm talking more specifically in, in heterosexual sexual relationships. Um, we don't ask for people to not speak to us a certain way. We tend to just ghost them instead. And, and I mean, you know, this, you talk about communication all the time. Like we have a bit of a crisis on our hands when it comes to women asking for what they want, partly because they don't know how, and partly because we have been taught not to. I completely agree with that. And there's something that I think is really important to understand about this is that just because you start asking for what you want, doesn't mean you're going to get it. And I think, and I think a lot of times when we're talking about personal development, and this is something that I come across all the time with communication is the win and the nod to your self-worth and amplifying your confidence is in the asking. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the getting. So because that we can't really control. That's all across the board. Sometimes we will absolutely get what we want. Sometimes we won't. But I think it's shifting into the perspective of simply asking is the win. And because I think a lot of people will go, well, I asked for this raise and I didn't get it. And so what's the fucking point, right? And the point is, you taking up that space saying, I'm deserving of this, whether or not you agree, agree or not, right? right? Like whether or not you 
want to give me that raise or want to give me that job. I'm here with this declaration saying, I believe in me. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need is more women saying, I believe in me, even if you don't motherfucker. And this isn't going to be the last time that I ask for what I want. In fact, there's this amazing quote from uh, Shonda Rhimes that uh, I will probably butcher, but it's around you basically get to have a seat at the table if you want a seat at the table. If you believe you deserve it, you get to take up that space, period. Mm -hmm. Even if other people say, no, you don't get to have a seat at the table. So I think that's a huge distinction that people need to understand because I think sometimes when we learn concepts about like, oh, here's how to establish a boundary. That doesn't mean someone's going to adhere to that boundary or, you know, like we think, oh, this is going to magically make all of my relationships perfect and flawless. No, no, no. What we're talking about is this inside job of you genuinely believing that what you want matters, period. Mm -hmm. Period. Period with a T. All right. So speaking of in the bedroom that you mentioned a second ago, you Mm -hmm. say that pleasure is something, and I know it's not just in the bedroom, but you say that pleasure is something women can focus on in order to make more noise in their lives. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, the, the pleasure factor sort of came on accident when I was writing the outline of this book. And I, I, to be honest with you, I sort of didn't want to write it because I'm like, Oh, that means that I have to work on my own, (laughs) (laughs) which I did. Uh, I mean, and as you know, I, and I've talked about it on my podcast and had her on a guest. I, I hired what I call my sex coach. Who's not a sex coach to work on some stuff. I think that was in 2019 and, and really made some movement in my own sexual pleasure. You just had to like untangle some old stuff and also just pleasure in general. Like you said, that doesn't necessarily have to be in the bedroom. And I I just posted on Instagram about this yesterday. I think sometimes when we think of pleasure, we think of these sort of grand gestures for ourselves or a gift from someone, you know, it's like we go to the spa for a week. We eat like this decadent, amazing meal at a fancy restaurant. And it doesn't need to be these huge things. And it, it, you know, it's just, I was at the beach yesterday and just letting my husband take the kids in the water. And I just was enjoying the breeze and the the sounds all around me. And the reason that this is so important is because again, we tend to put everyone else's comfort before us and to be a quote unquote, good woman, or for some, a good mother, we are selfless. We are accommodating and pleasure can seem like one of those things that's frivolous and a luxury for other people and definitely last on the list. And some people even look at pleasure as like going to the grocery store by themselves. And I'm like, right. No, (laughs) that's a nice thing to to do, but it's still a chore. You're still like Mm. taking care of people, like just taking care of you. That's it. And if you categorize it as selfish, so be it. And, and it's just sort of working on untangling and unpacking. What does pleasure mean to you? How do you feel when you have a lot of it? Do you feel deserving of it? Does it make you uncomfortable? Why? Why do you think that is connect the dots? Getting, getting curious about it. And I, I really cannot overstep the correlation between pleasure and religion, right? Like that at least from the way in which I was brought up in an extremely dogmatic born again, Christian family. And I know you had a pretty strict Catholic upbringing. Uh, The conversations that I've had with other people who have 
deconstructed and found their spirituality elsewhere have so much struggle with pleasure because it was demonized mm -hmm. and it was so sinful. Like pleasures of the flesh is an actual Bible verse, right? Right. Or the sins of the flesh. And so I think there can be a lot of layers to this too, of some of that conditioning. So like to your point, when you said, you know, does this make you uncomfortable? Why does it make you uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Have there been messages that have been shared with you through societal conditioning that may be religious, that may be family of origin, that has demonized pleasure and why, where does that come from? So I'm all about making your, the most empowered choices of, for yourself, but start looking at why do I believe that that could be shameful or sinful, or why do I think that I need to put everybody in front of myself? Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? And does that feel good? Does that help me accomplish the things that I want? Does that allow me to have rich relationships and live fully and demand the raises and all of that stuff? Of course, I can't overstep that. <laughs> that yeah. Up. yeah, no. And it, I'm glad that you did. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of, of that. Um, I know that your, your religion, uh, sort of after effects <laughs> runs, runs deeper than yes. mine. So I so appreciate you pointing that out. And, and it actually came to mind when I, I hired a new therapist last year in 2020, and she asked me what I did for fun. And at the moment, like I couldn't think of anything other than like, I played tennis sometimes. I mean, that was really it. And so it, it definitely got me thinking like her, her asking me that question of what is it that I do? And the answer was not enough. And I had to, yeah. I had to really put some focus on it. Well, it sounds like there are so many incredible nuggets in this book, and I am so excited for everybody to get their hands on it. Tell people where they can find it. What's their best avenue? Where can they find out more about you? Tell them all the things. So the one thing that I'm really excited for people to get their hands on for free is a workbook. I, Ooh. I, well, I ask over 250 questions in this book, like I said, and I wanted people to have an actual workbook and not something that they had to buy separately. So it's totally free. If they go to andreaowen.com slash noise, they can figure out. And, and it doesn't matter if you bought it on audiobook or ebook or print, and you can download that for free. And then I'm doing a book club for free and th this fall and everything is over there. And they can also, I have a podcast called the same thing, make some noise with Andrea Owen. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So it's andreaowen.com slash noise is all the info that they need. Yeah, correct. That'll Got tell it. them everything and all the bonuses. So we will definitely make sure that we put that into the show notes and I should probably let you go so you can get dressed. Um, and <laughs> I'm dry, dry now. Your hair. <laughs> you air dried your whole body, taking up all the space. Yes. I really, I'm so grateful for you spending some time with me. And it's always, it's always a treat selfishly for me to get to hang out with you. Same. And, and I, and I just want to say, I'm grateful to the listeners for hanging out with us. I know that they have lots of choices when it comes to podcasts and I'm just always grateful that they spend their time with us. Yes. That's such a great, such a great point. And I will let you go get dressed. Thank you so much. Everybody make sure you go check out the book, make some noise by Andrea Owen. And I love you friend. I'll talk to you soon. Love you too. Bye. Bye. So many great nuggets. 
I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you are loving the show, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving an Apple podcast review or a five-star rating wherever it is that you consume your pods. And like I mentioned earlier, next week I'm going to bring you 17 small very easy to digest bite-sized things that you can do to start taking up more space in your life. And what does that equal? A little bit more personal empowerment, more confidence, courage to go after the things that you want. So I do so hope you will join us next week. And again, thank you so much for hanging out. We will see you around these parts next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life. 